This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. On our show today, we have Nehru Paharia and Christopher Haida. Nehru is an associate professor of marketing at the McDonough School of Business at Georgetown. Hello, Nehru. Hi. And Chris Hydock is an assistant professor of marketing at the Orphalia College of Business at California Polytech State University. Hello, Chris. How are you doing? And they've written a paper which they called, Should Your Brand Pick a Side? How Market Share Determines the Impact of Corporate Political Advocacy. So, Nehru, why don't you start and tell us about the paper and what your research was about on this issue and give us a few sound bites, top line results. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we have seen a lot of brands taking polarizing political positions in, in recent years, such as Nike and Colin Kaepernick. Um, but I think this all, um, almost like kind of got a lot of gravity with Chick-fil-A in 2012 when a chicken shop became sort of the symbol of gay marriage, both for and against. So people were going there. Um, and, you know, pro- you know, professing their anti-LGBT views or their pro-LGBT views by boycotting it, posting pictures on social media. Um, but we thought it was super interesting that it, that a chicken shop really became the symbol of this very polarized political movement. So one of the things that we noticed or considered was that this this. What, what would actually happen to a brand in terms of would they gain market share or lose market share if they do something like this? One of the factors that might sort of impact this is how many customers they have to gain and how many customers they have to lose. So you can imagine a brand with a small market share if they take a polarizing political position, you know, maybe they're going to lose, you know, 50% of their customers who don't disagree with them or a portion of those. Um, but then there's 90% of uncaptured customers that they can go out into the market and try and, and capture. And half of those people might agree with their political position. So in the case of Chick-fil-A, maybe they're going to lose some people who are um, pro-LGBT marriage Um, but there's a lot more people out there that they could potentially gain, just assuming Chick-fil-A has a small market share if we're looking at the fast food market. So that's kind of the basic idea. If you have a large market share, then you actually have more customers that you could potentially lose, so more misaligned customers that you might actually lose from taking a polarized political position um, than you do to gain. Let's go back a little bit. You told us the big main effect of your results. what uh, and you told us a motiva- motivating example. Exactly how did you do this research, though? How did you find what kind of methodology did you use, or did you look at actual data? Did you look run experiments? What is it? That- yeah, we primarily ran experiments. So we either kind of we kind of would vary the initial market share of a company. So imagine you have one rental car company that has a low price and one that has a high price. So absence any other information, you know, people are more likely to choose on price. But as soon as you add a political view in that, you know, in this case we did for that particular experiment, we we actually did this with UK participants and did pro-Brexit or anti-Brexit. So there you find if you're the high-priced rental car company with an initial initial market share of say 5% because your price is high, 
Um, once you take a political position, you can actually increase your market share. I think it was more than double, actually. I think it went up to 10 or 13%. Chris, you can confirm that. Yes, um, right. And then the high price, uh, sorry, the low price rental car company that had 95% market share when you're just looking at price, mm. um, that would actually go down. So, so let, me get, let me ask the question. Uh, is the answer to whether or not you should do this your starting point? In other words, if you are a relatively small market share brand versus relatively large market share brand, let me start with that because that's, that's a, a bit beyond the main effect, if you will, uh, that Barbara's talking about. Can you elaborate a little bit on that, Chris? Yeah, so, you know, I, I think you hit on it uh, perfectly, like, from our perspective, and, you know, we're looking at brands that have uh, heterogeneous uh, customer bases. So, you know, they're they're not just going after, you know, rural customers in, in the Midwest that might vote a little bit more one direction than the other. Uh, we're going, we're thinking about, you know, Big national brands, you know, some customers are going to support what you're saying, and, and some are going to oppose. Uh, in that case, or you know, even with big brands, there's big brands that have a, a small portion of the market share for um, for for that specific industry. And so, this, I think it's something like what Nero is saying earlier with Chick Fil A. You know, we feel like they're they're really a big company, um, but if you think about where they stand in the uh, fast food market they're only about like 5% of the fast food market. And so for them, there's, there's a lot more customers to gain than there is to lose. Uh, and, and, you know, the flip yes. side, um, you know, I, I think in the fast food market, it's hard to think about this, but, you know, coming back to Nike and Colin Kaepernick, uh, you know, even Nike itself, they might seem big, but in a lot of the different categories they're competing in, there's a lot of competition. They're only 15, 20% of the market. Um, but if we think about the football viewing market and the NFL, um, the NFL is a hundred, you know, hundred percent. Maybe you can think about college football as a competition, but you know, they're smaller. Um, the NFL is there and you can't go anywhere else. And so I think that's one of the reasons they've been so um, kind of adamant about avoiding the political controversies of, of Colin Kaepernick. And, you know, I think recently they've tried to find a way to take a, a middle ground of how do you, um, how do you advance social uh, justice without taking up uh, what's perceived as a political step? And I actually want to build on this, this point, uh, Chris, because Barbara made an interesting point in one of our previous shows where she talked about a potential third condition, which is more of a, an awareness condition, uh, you know, across the board. So, for example, a brand that comes out and says, you should vote. Uh, make sure to vote as opposed to saying we're pro Biden or we're pro Trump. Uh, do you have any insight into that kind of condition where it's you're, you're, you're being political, but you're not necessarily taking a polarized side on one of the issues? Yeah, yeah. And, and still, there's definitely, definitely a lot there. Um, so, you know, I think when we first started this research, you know, one of the things uh, talking to uh, other experts in the field is, they were asking, you know, what's the difference between what you're looking at, brands engaging in what we would call corporate political advocacy and, and um, brands engaging in what maybe has historically been known as corporate social responsibility. And, wow. and you know, um, kind of jumping back to, to kind of earlier in the conversation, we really looked at it as 
corporate political advocacy is all about polarizing issues. So uh, issues where there's a, a strong opposition and, and strong support. And that's what we were looking for. Uh, when we look at, and, and so I have some other work that's looked at, you know, really trying to compare and contrast the response to corporate political advocacy and, and corporate social responsibility, um, you know, we see that generally there's a positive effect of corporate social responsibility. Uh, and, and, you know, to me, off the top of my head, I haven't tested this condition specifically, but when you ask, like, when you say go vote, like, um, you know, intuitively, I think that that means corporate social responsibility. You're you're saying something that's pre, pre uh, you're saying something that's pro social. There's there's no, um, you know, there's there's no major contingent of the population that's going to be opposed to telling people to go out and vote. Um, and and so you know, I, I I would expect a positive effect for a brand to do that. Um, just the same way, you know, if they said. Uh, you know, go support, um, go support teachers or go support nurses or, um, you know, donate to the Red Cross. Like those are all things that, you know, we all feel good about, you know, there's, there's no, there's no con there. There's no um, opposition there. And, and so generally I would expect a positive effect. And so um, uh, speaking to Barbara's point, you know, I, I, um, I, I, again, I think that same kind of answer applies. It's, it's, you can express your values and, you know, as a brand, I might focus on on um, philanthropy and and you know a specific type of philanthropy, uh, but as long as it's kind of philanthropy as opposed to politics, I, I think I'm going to have a positive response. So, and I also want to go back to another point that I think is uh, related to what Barbara's talking about, and it's the issue of if whether or not you guys looked at, you know, are you are you sort of drawn, are are you taking the stance like strongly or are you kind of drawn into it? Or is it better to be a toothpaste and mind your own business? <laughs> yeah, these exactly. are these are all super interesting questions. I mean, and I think that's what makes this area such a, a rich, uh, rich topic to study. Um, I think over time, consumers are having uh, greater expectations that businesses take political positions. So why might that be? Um, part of it could be because the traditional political process um, has seen has seemed to lost some legitimacy in the last several years. So approval ratings of Congress and and people's views about corruption, et cetera, um, are much higher. So so consumers, you know, might feel more efficacious voting with their dollars uh, than they do voting in the voting booth, right? So I vote with my dollars. I can actually impact something. And, and therefore, I also want companies to sort of reflect my views and my ideologies. And there have been a few uh, surveys recently where they have found that, uh, that uh, consumers actually do really expect companies to increasingly over time take political positions. There are a group of consumers who think, uh, like you were mentioning, Barbara, that you're a toothpaste company, you know, stay in your lane. Um, but increasingly, I think consumers are, are um, expecting and demanding companies to take polarizing political positions. So I think one of the other things that could be driving this is that there has been more companies taking political positions. And mm -hmm. so when your competitor, like Nike, takes a political position, um, 
then then everyone's looking at Adidas and all the other companies and that's saying, interesting. hey, that's pretty interesting because that would mean there's no point in Adidas and Under Armour <laughs> saying anything because they're not going to get much mileage out of it. Mm-hmm. So nice to know research supports real world findings. Nero and Chris, thank you so much for joining us today. And where can our listeners go to keep up with you and your work? Nirupaharia.com or uh, Georgetown. Just Google my name. And Chris? And I'm at uh, chrisheidock.com and, you know, Google Scholar and and, uh, Cal Poly's website as well. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.